Welcome to the future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, principal and founder of LVG & Co., an independent strategy consultancy based in New York City. Through quick and candid conversations with innovative leaders, we aim to foster new thinking and explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Hello and welcome to the future of XYZ. Uh, today we have the distinct privilege of speaking with Nikisha Bailey uh, about the future of the music industry. Nikisha, thanks so much for joining us on Future of XYZ. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. I'm super excited. It's, a, it's, it's our pleasure. Uh, Nikisha is the vice president of A&R, um, of admin and operations at Artist Partner Group, or APG, which is part of Atlantic Music Group. Uh, she trained as an audio engineer and has worked with all of the large uh, labels, Universal Music Group, Warner Music Group, uh, Sony, Def Jam, etc. cetera. Uh, and she's worked with some of the biggest named acts in the music industry today, including Ava Max, Bruno Mars, Missy Elliott, Don Tolliver, and Keilani. Uh, she is also perhaps of the most important personal work, uh, the co-chair of DNI for Women in Music. So, Nikisha, again, thank you so much. I'm going to dive right in. Um, I am so curious uh, what the state of, as we head into Memorial Day weekend, summer being usually a big time for musical releases, what is happening as we head into Memorial Day 2021 in the music industry? I think the music industry right now, if I were to gauge the temperature, I would say we're maintaining and we're hopeful. Um, I think with everyone getting vaccinated for COVID, some touring is actually scheduled for the fall. I think people are very hopeful that we can get back to a state where we're constantly working and constantly putting things out. Artists can start touring. They can be in a recording studio without limited you know, access to the amount of people you can have in there. Just have that real collaboration that you don't really get when you're performing on Zoom or on like a digital platform. So I think we're very hopeful that there'll be some semblance of know what we saw before I don't think it will be it will go all the way to you know those 50,000 75,000 festivals I personally was never a fan of those because it's just too many people so I think we will get back though to to live music as you know we once knew it this is this is a wonderful uh something to imagine and hope for and 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 I'm certainly seeing it as uh you know all the feeds that I have come come to life it's like we're back on tour so that's great news how has the industry I mean let's start and work backwards before we go forwards I mean this last 15 months of COVID has been brutal for the music industry in some ways certainly again for those tours and live music and all this that has to you know a lot of musicians still rely on that how has the industry actually shifted and adapted um, given COVID over the last 15 months? Well, I think um, speaking from just personal experience, I know APG, when it first happened, we know our creators still wanted to create, you know, even though they were dealing with every all the changes in the world. So we, we set them up with home studios so they could record on their own and then like little uh, mini like content studios so they could record content on their own. So this actually left a lot of our artists doing things just everything themselves, instead of being able to have the support of an entire studio or of an entire like content team. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that really, oh, I think that was really special for people to be able to like just control everything. And, you know, we kind of had to lean on them to, to survive the creative process instead of them leaning on us. And then I think people just dealing with like mental exhaustion, 
here, having people, you know, sick in their family. It was just like, I think a lot of people took a breath. We had some artists who couldn't perform. I had some staff members who couldn't work just because there was so much going on in the world. So I think this really showed us that we do need to reset. Like we're constantly going, 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 because obviously music can be created whenever. It's an all day, every day process. But I think this showed the importance of taking a time, taking the time to really like care about yourself and maybe even learn more about your process instead of just putting things out all the time. Like maybe you really take the time to think about the quality of music and the content that you're putting out. Oh, I love, I, it's such a, again, a very hopeful message of like kind of pausing and slowing down. And of course, music at its core is a creative endeavor, right? I mean, it's highly technical and mm -hmm. very creative. I mean, musicians are among the most notorious as well as, you know, well appreciated artists that exist in the world from the beginning of time. Um, I mean, the music industry beyond COVID has been changing rapidly over the course of, let's say, the last 15 to 20 years with the advent of, you know, digital technologies, with the democratization of information. Um, before we start looking ahead, can you just explain from your own perspective what has happened in the music industry, you know, let's say since in the last decade or so? I think, so that's about when I started in the industry about a decade ago. I think music comes out a lot faster. Artists are able to really like shoot or like record one day and then put it up that same night if they want. Um, I think deal structures have, are a lot different knowing that music does come out so quickly. Like an artist isn't going to wait 18 months, which is normally what an option period is to put out their second project. They might drop something this month and want to drop something three months from now. And so really labels uh, have had to catch up to how artists create constantly. And also the limitations on, you know, you don't like as a label, you might not be able to own every aspect of an artist like you used to. You really can do these a la carte deals or maybe you only do one mixtape or you only do two EPs and you only have a piece of this part of the artist instead of having the whole 360, which we're so accustomed to. Um, so I think labels have really had to like, just catch up with how, you know, we move quickly these days uh, instead of the, I don't wanna say archaic, but like, you know, an artist isn't going to work an album for two years. If they might do that, but they might also drop three or four things along the way. And, and as we're seeing with like, you know, some pop acts, especially, you know, there's a whole body of remix, re-release, et cetera, you know, for this digital audience that really is anticipating the, that, that pace of release, I think, you know, audiences mm -hmm. are hungry for new content and artists are able to keep up to your, to your point. Mm -hmm. There's just, I think with music like iTunes, Spotify, playlisting, you're able to just tap into so many different audiences. Like, you know, I know some people really love when we do like chopped and screwed remixes. <laughs> I'm not personally a fan, but like they just love to slow down. And other people, like some artists create special remixes just for Soul Cycle. So you have like the option of reaching so many different communities with your music by just releasing constantly and, and tailoring your music to everyone. Absolutely. So, I, I mean, there are two aspects of what you just said that are very curious to me. On the one hand, there's the deal side of if you're remixing and releasing to Soul Cycle, when you're talking about you might only own a certain piece of the artist, right? How mm -hmm. does that, how do rights work in this kind of very quickly evolving multi-platform distribution model uh, in the first place? That's my first question and I'll follow up. So it just, it could, it could be a partnership with the artist. It could be a traditional um, 
deal with an artist where the label does have the rights. It could be a license deal where only you have, you know, the right to work the music for a certain amount of time and then it goes back to the artist. Um, it could be something where you're only doing, you know, a couple singles and the label owns the singles and everything else is for the artist. Uh, it could be a joint venture where like the partnership where it's owned by you and the artist or it's owned by the label and the artist. So it really just depends, I think, on what type of artist you are, um, what you're bringing to the table. Because obviously, if you're coming into a situation, having proven yourself by like constantly releasing music, you have the streams, you're bringing in the revenue, you're more likely to get a fair type of partnership deal with the label. And I guess also there's a there's a certain piece of knowing what you're asking for as an artist, and that comes from either experience or, or great advisors, right? Mm -hmm. of being, being able to have agency on your own behalf mm -hmm. or having a solid team and then i mean and then there are some artists who do want that traditional label deal like they do want to have every type of department they want to like you know they want to relinquish their rights to the artists because they, they i think the hardest thing as an independent artist is reaching the rest of the world mm -hmm. and that's one thing that labels still can really do because they do have people in offices in all those different markets like Ava Max, I think she broke first in Europe before she broke here. And it's because we had all those affiliates in Sweden, Norway, Finland, the UK that were constantly championing her music. And I think that's one thing that um, when you think about you want to be a superstar, labels really do provide that layer of international play that you might not necessarily have access or knowledge to as an independent musician. That totally makes sense. And, and actually, it, it leads to that second question I was going to you know, ask about, and, and I'm super curious about, is the collaborative process. I mean, you talked about this past year of COVID, you know, kind of artists having studios in their own homes and being able to own the process. But historically, music has largely been a collaborative endeavor, whether you're talking about the sound engineers or the mixers. And I mean, you have so many different people in a studio setup in the pre record and post obviously how has that evolved as you know you think about an independent they have access but they don't have the same access as if they're with a big label um mm -hmm. do you see this you know obviously both for independence acts as well as you know traditional you know represented artists changing going forward both as a result of covid and as a change in this deal structure i think um I think collaboration will always be key because it's really how you really find different sounds and kind of grow not only as a person and as, as an artist, but I do think because of COVID, a lot of people had to learn to engineer themselves. A lot of people learned to mix themselves. So that part of the process, like engineers and mixers and masters will always be needed, but I think a lot more people are hands-on with knowing how to do that themselves. Just like, because what if the studio closes down? You can't, and you want to record, you can't wait you know, three months before you can get back in the studio. Um, and even then we saw, you know, people still collabor collaborating over Zoom. It wasn't like, you know, the, what they wanted to do, but they had no other choice because sometimes you, as a creator, you need that other, other parties in the room to bounce ideas off or even to bring the best ideas out of you. So I think collaboration will always be important. Um, people will always want other people in the room just to get the temperature. And sometimes having another person just drives you to work harder in the room, like accountability. An engineer is gonna let you know, all right, you've got two hours left in the session and you know, and you're spending the money to be there. You're gonna to wanna to get it done instead of relying on yourself 
and holding yourself accountable to do the work. So I could see definitely more people in the home studio situation. You know, it ideal it makes financial sense, but some artists, you know, and creators do need that like being outside of your home to catch the vibe to create the music. Totally. I mean, so, and, and there's part of the ability to kind of mix for yourself and everything also about a younger generation, or we see it in every industry where people are being taught code and they're, they're just more digitally savvy, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think it's, it's not the best example, but TikTok, I mean, you know, content that's being created by these basically young kids that is quite advanced in some ways. And that's like the, the, the very, very bottom of the iceberg. Yeah. Um, do you think that's partially what's happening also? And will that evolution just continue? I definitely think so. Like, I mean, engineering is something that I I went to school for, but even now I don't feel as comfortable probably as a young kid who took classes on YouTube and could do it themselves. So I think information is just readily available and, uh, you know, younger generations just consume content at such a high pace. Like my staff that you know that uh, works with me like the younger uh my younger staff they just consume they're on their phone all day I'm like how are you keeping up with all of this how are you learning all of this I feel like I'm like <laughs> I try to get on TikTok and I just get overwhelmed so you know I think they're more used to you know consuming content um I think when I first got into the industry like Facebook was still the big thing like and even when I was growing up it was MySpace and then Instagram got introduced and then Twitter, and then by the time I get to TikTok, I'm like, this is just too much. So yeah, and, and then Clubhouse, which is just audio. Yes. And, yeah, no, it's super interesting. I mean, I, you, it does beg the question whether the future of the music industry is is young people. You know, and you have so many acts that I mean, it's you think about someone like the Rolling Stones, right? Who are on tour still. I mean, not this year, but they were supposed to have been last year, right? I mean, who have just been at this since you know, basically for 50 years, you know, and then you have this young gender, and it's a very different audience, of course, and, and different style and all the rest of it. But you do have, in some ways, what you're describing is a democratization of access by virtue of these tech platforms and the the technical and digital know-how um, of the younger people. So how do you see kind of, you know, historically, we've had like a couple of big bands. We'll just, I mean, I'm just going to stick with the stones, right? In the 60s, 70s, you had like a couple of, you know, or a few dozen big, big name marquee bands. Today, you have so many different genres and you have so many big names. Do you continue, do you see the future of music industry continuing to diversify and kind of become broader uh, with more possibility for big acts? Or do you think that there's always going to be kind of a creme de la creme and then a bunch of people who don't actually make it, but have a following? I do think there there'll always be room for big acts just because I think there'll always be room for superstars and that you know and and it's like the right like uh formula you get the superstar you get the label you get the record and you get the push um and I think we saw that recently with acts like Ed Sheeran um who's on my label Cardi B um it was just the right timing and like the label kind of came in and just you know a fueled it to the next level but I do think uh, because there are so many different types of music and people can really like learn about new music. Like I know I go down rabbit holes all the time of, of sounds that I'm not used to hearing. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I do think that there is a, a place for that, but I don't think superstars will ever not be a thing. Um, just because people love superstars, like it's in, naturally in us to want to follow stars. But what that means um, from a, a, a traditional sales side, like, 
some of the biggest acts um, are, are on YouTube. I think people don't realize that YouTube is like the biggest way that people consume music. And wow. so like um, you have acts like uh, NBA Youngboy, who's like the biggest act on YouTube and then Tory Lanez who's really big on YouTube. So I think it's just the definition of what being a superstar means and big act means is gonna be tweaked a little bit. It's it's pretty fascinating, actually. I, I want to come back to this idea because that makes me think about like the, the global nature of our content consumption today. You know, traditionally, these big superstar acts, the global acts are, you know, for the most part, English speaking, English language, obviously, um, the ones that have breadth. Do you see that continuing or do you see an opportunity for acts? I mean, we, we have, you know, some some bold examples, I think, you know, this past year um, coming out of South Korea and obviously out of Latin America. But do you see the industry is moving more towards an international artist base? Or do you think that the, the future of the superstar acts will continue to be kind of like ang Anglo-Saxon? I think they will continue to be kind of Anglo-Saxon. I think the difficulty with that is that Radio still drives a lot of thing and you have to think about everyone in the United States. Like I love K-pop, I love Bad Bunny, but I would probably, I would never hear them on the radio, not just yet. I don't think we're there yet. Um, it's people don't understand the language. So um, I think like, I mean, hopefully we'll get there because I would love to hear Bad Bunny on my you know regular radio station if I'm driving in the Midwest or something. Uh, but I don't think we're quite there yet um, yeah. for the United States to have a superstar who doesn't um, speak like English. Um, it's it, yeah, I, I think that's that was my instinct, and you know, but I, I was just curious from your perspective. Um, we started this by introducing you as vice president of ANR, but I think many listeners, you know, won't have any idea what ANR is or actually does. So I'm going to backtrack us for a moment because in, in my experience, which is pretty limited in the music industry, but as you and I have talked about, you know, I, I've, I've had some exposure early in my career working with some pretty big names. A&R is kind of the glue that makes everything stick. I mean, it's, 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 it's ultimately the connection between the business and the artist. Um, mm -hmm. Can you explain, A, first of all, what A&R stands for and kind of where it is right now, given the state of the music industry and where it's going? Yeah. So A&R stands for Artist and Repertoire. And like you said, it's really like the glue between the artist and the label. Like as A&R, you're the responsible for getting the artist to create, to make music, make videos, to make content. You're really the point of entry for the artist team um, into the label. And you're the point of entry for making sure that the artist's vision is met within all departments uh, of the label. So I work on the um, admin and operation side. So I also manage my A&R team, but I work also on like closing the deals. So uh, closing like the producer deals, the song artist splits, making sure we have the correct files for mixing and mastering, clearing samples, clearing side artists, making sure all the metadata is entered correctly uh, into Spotify and Apple so that people can actually collect their money. Uh, so like that nitty gritty, like business stuff that people don't really think about, but that's super important for uh, us to collect money as a label and for the artists to collect their share as well. Yeah. And, and how big a role is data in that function at this point? I mean, again, digitization and seeing how many likes, clicks, downloads, et cetera. I mean, that data integrity seems like it's becoming more and more a part of A&R's role. 
Yeah, it's super important because that's how you collect money now. It's not like some, you know, I think back in the day, like they used to pull reports, maybe they get scans from Nielsen, the radio charts or whatever, we'll let them know. But now it's like, you can get money by going to YouTube, by clicking an ad, by doing, you know, there's so many different like mechanical ways digitally to collect money that all that data is super important. And so we actually, you know, most labels have an entire team that like just focuses on metadata and collection and making sure things are registered properly um, on the back end. Um, it's very, it's very interesting that the, the changing nature as big, big behemoth industries that are so important to every single one of us in the world and our well-being, frankly, music mm -hmm. itself, um, managed to to translate to the every evolving iteration of this modern world. Mm -hmm. So we, as we wrap up, Nikisha, I'd love just to give you open floor of anything that you think, you know, the average listener uh, or consumer of music should know as we think about the future of the music industry and actions that you might want them to take. Or if, if that's not interesting, you could also answer like, what are you most excited about in the future of the music industry? One thing that's really important to me um, over the course of me being in the industry for 10 years is making sure that my my artists and my creatives are have some type of financial literacy component to when they, you know, they, they sign with us. So I do like this little onboarding system just to introduce them to certain things that they might not know about because you have to think about, you have a lot of young kids who've never had this amount of money before entering into a world where it just seems like money overflows. but And that's not, not always the case until you get to be maybe like Bruno Mars or Ed Sheeran or Cardi B. But teaching like financial awareness, you know, early on when they sign, providing them with books, resources, and just like, even like, this is how you file taxes and why you should set up a company, just doing little things so we don't, like people, you create music and you sign to a label because you want to make money off this for the rest of your life. And you want to be able, you want to make money for your future family. And I, it's really important to me to make sure I equip artists with those tools. So, you know, you don't have to be fly by night. Like a lot of artists, like after two years and they're not making money yet, they don't have any money, then you have to come back and ask for another advance. And that's just more, that's just more money in debt. Yeah. You're in debt early on. So just trying to teach people like the very importance of being financially sound and secure um, from when they sign with us. I, I, it's, it's actually a really, really, I'm sure people, is, especially going forward, appreciate that because I think throughout our world in every way, that is not something that we're teaching our kids, mm -hmm. uh, you know, at all. And uh, if you're not brought up in the privilege of being taught it by your parents somehow, uh, it's not something that you come across. So I think that's a pretty huge gift, especially as people embark on a career where they have the opportunity to make quite a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and spend a lot, as you said. Yes, <laughs> the, the money can get spent very fast, <laughs> a, a lot faster than it comes in. So, you know, making sure people understand that. Um, it's great. Um, and and I'll, I'll just close. What are you most excited about coming down the pipeline in, in your own career and the music industry in general? In my own career, just, I, I really enjoy being a leader. So continuing to shape, cause I feel like, you know, you learn from really great leaders and I, I think I'm a really great leader. So just excited to see my team continue to grow and develop. We've signed some new uh, baby acts that we're very excited about. Um, this artist named Nelsia, who's incredible. This artist named Zaina, um, this kid named Soldier Kid. Uh, 
uh, this kid named Octavio, Octavio the Dweeb that I'm super excited about. So having that early point of entry with these artists as they develop is something that's really special to me. So I'm looking forward to that. And then I'm also looking forward to live music in a limited capacity. Like I want like that intimate feeling. So, you know, um, definitely looking forward to like catching some live acts. Um, maybe, maybe this fall, I think that's when well, we'll, like, you know, I know I, some things are scheduled for the summer, but I want to give it a little more time. <laughs> so I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you, Nikita, on that one. But still so. looking forward to getting back to listening mm -hmm. to live music. Mm -hmm. It's good. Well, thank you so, so much for educating all of us on the future of the music industry with your incredible knowledge and uh, keep up the amazing work you're doing. Yeah, thank you so much for providing this platform, Lisa. Like, this is incredible. And, you know, I, I would love to do this again. Like, maybe that's a part two. We can figure it out. I love that. I, I, I think we probably can. There's a lot, there's a lot to unpack. <laughs> yeah. It's good. And everyone listening and watching, thank you so much for joining us on Future of XYZ this week. If you don't already subscribe, you can do so on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, anywhere you get your podcasts. And you can follow Future of XYZ on Instagram to stay up to date. Uh, we'll see you next week. And Nikisha, thank you again so much. Thank you. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the Future of XYZ. If you like what you've been hearing, please follow Lisa Grelnick on LinkedIn. Visit future-of.xyz or subscribe to the Future of XYZ podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.